Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Yeah, you know. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm, and today is Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. This is episode 120-120, and as you can tell in the sound of my voice, I am so excited about this one, guys. Episode 120 features Detroit native Sonia Alvarez, and this was such a great interview, guys, because Sonia has really, really worked hard to get to where she's at now. She's become one of the top build acts in the 313, which is one of the biggest hubs for electronic music in the world. In this interview, guys, we discuss Sonia's arrival into the scene and how she's earned her stripes and gotten opportunities to open and close for some of the biggest touring acts in the world, including AC Slater, Shiba San, and Anna Luneau. She's been coined also as a people's DJ and a DJ's DJ. And it was so cool to actually hear her describe that because it really is a unique thing, guys, to be able to appeal to both sides. We also talked about her new record label, Corner Combo Records, and she just released her first original track, Make Me Laugh. Now, Sonya was actually on the bill for movement this year on MK's Area 10 stage with Lee Foss and Detlef. As we all know, all festivals have been canceled in the U.S. this year, but it was still great to talk to someone who had the opportunity to play at one of the biggest festivals in the world. We also went a little deeper and talked about the significance of Detroit in the electronic music world and movement festivals' role in the techno genre. It was so great to hear Sonya's full story. She is, without a doubt, one of the hardest working people that I've talked to in the industry, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for her. So without further ado, guys, let's let you hear it for yourself. This is episode 120 with Sonia Alvarez. Well, Miss Sonia Alvarez coming in live from Detroit. I got my shirt on for you, the 313. Love it. Love it. It's great to talk to you. So excited to have you on the show. Like I said before, we just went live. I've been following you for a few years now. I've seen you DJ numerous times. And it's been so awesome to see you grow as like an artist, as just like, I would say a Detroit influencer, honestly. I mean, you've got to be one of the biggest Detroit's like Detroit uh, DJs at this point, seriously. Thank you. Don't you think? Be a little humble. Come on. It's okay. You know, I mean, it's been a, it's been a good little journey here. I got a long way to go. I got a lot of uh, exciting things ahead of me. You know, I feel like everything is always in waves. Um, you know, uh, Detroit's awesome for its roots. I mean, yeah. you can't really get much better if you're trying to do. Hey, look at this. Um, There's a nail in my hand. <laughs> hey, Dominic. Dominic? Don't forget to wear a helmet. I will. Okay. So, yeah, Detroit, obviously, you know, we got Kevin Saunderson coming out of Detroit. Um, MK is from Detroit. Obviously, Claude Von Stroke is from Michigan. Um, you know, like so many huge influences mm-hmm. out of Detroit. So, you know, I was born in Detroit and I've lived in Detroit pretty much most all my life. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm just so grateful that I was able to break into the scene before coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel really bad for all the DJs who are just getting, just, just getting started. Um, yeah. And basically, like, I have a good friend that I've been working with and mentoring a little bit. Um, and she just started DJing about a year, year and a half ago. And I feel bad because she's just beginning to get, like, a lot of good bookings. And they're all canceled and whatnot because of everything. And right. it could be very demotivating. Like, I find I find it, you know, just myself. You've been doing this for a while. And it's like, oh, damn, like, ugh. Like, what's going on here, you know? But we just got to try to stay positive as artists because that's our job. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think uh, during this time is really when a lot of the people who maybe aren't fully into it, and this isn't like saying anything against your friend, but like people who are in it for the music, the love of the music, right? We don't know how long this is going to go on for. And I believe like whoever continues to do it, if it's a passion of theirs, if they really believe in themselves, like those people will remain afterwards. So it's tough. Don't get me wrong, right? Like somebody was telling me about it yesterday, actually. It's like, it's almost like you're pushing a train. And sometimes it takes a while to get that train going, but once it's going, it's going. And now we all randomly got an emergency brake full on our train no matter yeah. how slow it was going, right? You're right. Yeah. But it's okay, you know, and I mean, that's why I'm, I'm so glad I have this podcast so I can continue to connect with artists like yourself and, and use my platform to tell your story because you're going to continue doing your thing. And that's one of the major reasons I wanted to have you on is because when you DJ, you're just someone who, like, is so into it. And it's just, like, electric and it's energetic and... I think in these days, at least since I've been in the industry for the past five or six years, there are people who, you know, like I said, I, I've met them and I don't know what they're in it for, right? Is it like to get the blue check mark? Is it to get clout? Or like they really in it for the music. They really love doing it. And I think those people are getting weeded out and it's going to be people like you who remain. So props to you in that. Just want to acknowledge you first. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I... When I originally got into this, it was just because I was having fun, taking myself yeah. out, dancing at the clubs, and yeah. like didn't even know what was going on. And within a few months of just going and hanging out by myself, dancing, I met some really awesome friends. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, <laughs> one of them I met at his house, uh, <laughs> who helped me basically learn how to DJ. And then from there, I was like, Oh, you know, I don't care if I'm just DJing to make mixes for myself in my car. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no one's going to listen to this. And then, you know, you gain a little confidence in your ability and uh, you gain a little confidence in other people, you know, of however you want to phrase that. And uh, then, yeah, I mean, really, it's kind of like... You put your mind to it. Your body will do it. You put the effort and then, like you said, that train, it kind of flows. I mean, I was super fortunate to be able to open for Chris Lake, Shibasan. Well, Shibasan, like, twice. Chris Lake opened and closed for him. People like Anna Luno and yeah. Gorgon City and Solardo and Rivastar and... I mean, anybody that comes through D-Town, I don't know. Support, like, are, are you... For a little while there, yeah. I mean, I definitely... <laughs> Had it on lockdown for sure. Like, you earned those spots, Sonia. Like you didn't just like happen to come across that or like be in the right place at the right time. Like I wanna I wanna start from the beginning, but like you are someone who's earned their stripes in the scene, and that's something that I've always noticed. So you were born in Detroit. When were like you exposed to techno, electronic music, even DJing? Like when did you first get your hand on decks? Um, this would have to be around 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. So not even that long ago. Yeah. 
But um, like in my eyes, okay, so when I became 18, which was a while ago, yeah. we would go to clubs. <laughs> and I didn't know that there was different versions of clubs. The <laughs> club that I um, would go to, you know, it was like more of a top 40 club. Um, not like I would go there often, but that was my experience with clubs. So then fast forward to like, I think I was like 24. Yeah, this was 2014, 2015. So I'd already had my son. He was already about one. So we were getting babysitters. I was getting babysitters on the weekends. Sure. And yeah, I had a, um, here, here's the story. Here's how it goes. Here's how I discovered house music, actually. Yeah, I was yeah. going on Tinder dates, <laughs> which are never, they never worked out for me, honestly. It just never worked out. Um, and then, so they weren't working out. And I had a free weekend night. And I was uh, just frustrated with my progress of my social progress. It just wasn't progressing. So this girl, uh, my friend from work, she invited me to go out with her and her husband. They were going to go to a club. And I didn't, I didn't really know what to, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't have anything to expect. They took me to the grasshopper and we saw AC Slater. Oh, shit. Are you kidding me? Mm-mm. Oh, baby. <laughs> so I was like, what is this? And we got there, like, we got the free entry before 10 or whatever. So, like, I was there all night, and I just, like, was just going ham on the dance floor like you'd never seen. Um, and then two weeks after that, I didn't have my friends anymore with me. I don't know what they were doing. But I, was like, got off work, and I didn't have any friends at all or anywhere to go or any Tinder dates or anything. So I took myself back to the same club that my friends took me to, yeah. and Sonny Federa was there with uh, DJ Fifi. So that was my second experience with house music. You were um, hooked. You were so yeah. hooked. Yeah. So it's like you see AC Slater, then you see Sonny Federa, and you're just like, wait, what is this? You get, yeah, you're, you're getting some broad spectrums there of house music, but some yeah. of the best. Yeah, it was honestly so crazy. So then I just started frequenting Grasshopper, and I mean, I didn't know that there was more places like this. I just thought it was kind of an anomaly, and so I would go, and then, um, yeah, I met some of the local DJs there who were very nice to befriend me, and then they actually took me one day. We randomly went to TV Lounge, which is another club up here, another house music club, and we were in TV Lounge, and some girl recognized me from, like, being at the Grasshopper all the time. She was like, oh, are you that girl who hangs out at Grasshopper? I was like, <laughs> yeah. And she was like, oh, are you a DJ? I was like, no. <laughs> and I looked at my friend, and he was like, maybe we should teach you how to DJ. And I was like, yeah, maybe you should. Yeah. And so I remember, like, that pivotal moment. I was, like, thinking to myself, I was like, okay, I'm going to take this serious. Yeah. You're not in this interview. Can you please excuse yourself? <laughs> He's funny. He's so definitely a comedian. That was 2015, 2016? 2014 or 2015. I can't remember the exact year. I want to say that was probably 2014 because it took me a good year to just, I don't even know. Maybe, yeah, that was, yeah, that was 2014. That was October 10th, 2014. I went to go see AC Slater, and then November 14th, 2014, or November 21st, 2014, was the Sunny Federa show. And then I had my first gig at the Urban Bean, one of my first gigs, my first gig with my name on it, at the Urban Bean on May 10th, 2015. Wow. 
that's pretty quick turnaround from going to your first show, which again, just want to say how awesome it is. Your first show was AC Slater at Grass. I know, right? I totally that's know. raw. That's like sweat on the ceiling type stuff. Yeah, so around six months, six to seven months, going to my first show, playing my first gig. So who were some of your mentors then during that time? You said your friend that you're with right now taught you to DJ? Yeah, you want to say hi, Ryan? Yes, come here, Ryan. What's up? Hey, Ryan, what's up, man? I'm Sherm. Nice to meet you. You too, man. I'm hearing you expose this songs is, to the dark side. Is that true? This is Party Hard. Yeah. Party Hard. Detroit. Yep, yep. That's awesome. You had CDJs and you taught her how to DJ then? Because she's really good on CDJs. I knew that she started on CDJs because she's way too confident in those things, right? Yeah, she's very confident in it. Is she a better DJ than you now? Hell no. <laughs> I'm just kidding, yeah. <laughs> Maybe another decade and I'll have somewhere on him. <laughs> That's awesome. And we play back-to-back together sometimes, though. It's a lot of fun, so. Yeah. Be on the lookout for those. Very cool. You got to have your friends, like, in the beginning. I had a friend, too, that was almost like a mentor to me as well, and they are just there for you and they're doing it for the love. And it's so great, actually. I'm not sure if he had other close friends that he was DJing with, but there's this like, this weird aspect. Like I didn't have friends when I was growing up that loved electronic music. I came from like a small town outside Indianapolis and late into college, you know, electronic music was blossoming. And I got to Chicago because I wanted to continue the dream, do the podcast and stuff. It's a hell of a lot better scene in Indianapolis, as you well know. And I met so many people here, like in a short period of time that were just unlike people I had met previously because they loved music. They loved electronic music. They loved house. They loved DJing. And there's just something so special about that connection, right? When you're first really getting into it, like when you're going to shows, when you're learning to DJ, when you're discovering new music, I just feel like it it develops this stronger bond, especially if you experience it later in life, like we did too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not starting music when I was like 18, which, you know, I always say there's pros and cons to everything. Um, when I was 18, I was definitely wild, for lack of a better term. <laughs> I was a con? I don't know what you mean by that. I was not a con. Um, then you were pro? Pro? I didn't play video games. Were you at midterms? Midterms. You were a pro partier. Pro, Okay. Well, yeah, kind of. Um, yeah. But let's just say I'm happy that I entered in the music scene, uh, well, for maturity reasons, after I'd already done all my, you know, yeah. stuff that you do when you're like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. Yeah. Be silly, crazy, figure it out. So, yeah, I mean. But then again, I think about it and it's like, I remember when I was just beginning in this and I was, you know, 24, 25 years old and I'm like, mm, all these, all the people are young and they've been, you know, they're like younger than me and they've already been doing it for five years. Like, fuck, I have some catching up to do, you know? So it's just kind of like frustrating, like, oh, why didn't I figure this out sooner? But then it's, you know, you then you just realize everyone's journey is unique and, totally you, know, you know, so... I'm, I'm interviewing some guys these days that are from the United States, from Canada, from Europe. They got their first uh, pair of DJ decks at like 12 and 13 years old, right? Right. And these days, there's no barrier to entry for guys like that at all because your mom will buy you a set of, uh, you know, Serato decks and you can download your music illegally for free and you can get little bar gigs and then build your way up. And then you're like 15, 16 years old. And they're like, oh, I should maybe learn to produce when you're in high school, when you have all the time in the world. When I was mm-hmm. doing 
nothing. You know what I mean? And it is easy to like be like, oh man, if I could go back, I would do that. But I think those sort of things are just like you wouldn't have thought. Coulda, shoulda. Wish I would have bought Amazon in 2012. (laughs) Yeah. What are you gonna do though? You're here now. What are you gonna do? Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned AC Slater, Sonny Federa. Obviously, you've had some mentors along the way. Who are your biggest influences that inspire you musically from a DJ's perspective, maybe even just like your regular life too? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. So some of my biggest inspirations will definitely be my friends here in Detroit that, you know, helped me just uh, and nurtured my love for music, always supporting me and also helping me, uh, you know, find awesome songs to play. Um, worldwide, some of my favorite inspirations musically, Shibasan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shibasan definitely was one of the first artists that, like, kind of, when I heard his music, I was like, Rah! immediately. <laughs> Rah! What's, what is this? And he's like Actually, the coolest guy, too. Yeah, yeah. Fred's awesome. So basically, uh, I remember in AC Slater's set, the first night that I saw him, I took a, I was, I was wilding out, and I took a little video of, like, what was going on, and I posted it on my Instagram. This was, like, before, obviously, I had an aesthetic Instagram, but I, <laughs> I, I just, like, posted the video, like, oh, great moment or whatever, and it was when AC Slater was playing OK by Shibasan. I just, like, knew that I loved it, so it was, like, you know, th- so then I sh- shazammed it, obviously, so then... I was fig- I found SoundCloud. I didn't even know what SoundCloud was. I was like, what yeah. is this? So <laughs> on SoundCloud, I found Shibasan, and I listened to Shibasan live in Indonesia, or was it Shambhala? Shambhala, Shambhala yeah. is in Indonesia. So I listened to his live set. It was like an hour and a half, maybe two-hour live set every day, like multiple times a day for a few months. Because I didn't really know that there was more mixes on SoundCloud. Yeah, fair. Uh, yeah, so I was listening to this one Shibasan set, and I just, like, shazammed every single song in the set. And I was like, oh, my God, everything, like, it's amazing. It goes from one song to the next. Like, what does it happen? I just don't get it. Right. right. So it kind of, like, blew my mind. And then from there, from that set, I obviously, like, was able to find a bunch of other artists that he played. And so from there, you know, then I was like looking at AC Slater sets and I was just uh-huh. like, wow, this, this is a rabbit hole and a half. Yeah, gosh, you can go deep. So then from there, you know, Shadow Child has been uh, a big inspiration for me. Um, and then just recently, as far as like uh, people that I've been looking up to and have been really been motivating me to like stay on course and stay motivated has been Greco, obviously, uh, you know, you know him. I mean, he's just always... Totally, totally killing it with like just the positivity and the just production level is just like totally off the charts. So um, he's been doing really well. So for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're on the same management label as him, too. I had him on the podcast. I think, gosh, time's been going by in a crazy way since the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. um, He's just like a guy who is easy to talk to, stay connected with. Right. He's almost like a reassurance of the mu- music industry that like people are good. People, people are, are good. Yes, you're right. Um, I remember, uh, I'm a, I've, I've met Greco a few times in person, but we, uh, we hung out in Miami when we had this whole thing that our management group, we were doing in Miami and we all kind of, we stayed in an Airbnb together. It was a really nice 
really, really nice hotel that we stayed in type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a big group of us. He like brought his girlfriend. And we had our manager there, and it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And honestly, what I take away from that being with him is he was definitely someone who like like when you're talking to him, like you have his attention. Yes. He's living in the moment, yes. which is nice because I feel like it could be easy for someone of his like movement caliber. He's doing a lot. To be, like, just kind of scatterbrained and be, like, oh, I don't know, overwhelmed or kind of, like, standoffish and weird and, like, not. But he's, yeah. like, really genuine, really, like, when he talks to you, he's, like, really talking to you. So it yeah. is a reassurance. Yeah, it's nice. Absolutely. And, and speaking of Greco, actually, where I first met him was Movement. And I have been following him for a little while because I love his tracks. He's got such a unique sound. And I saw him. I saw him. I knew he was short as fuck. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, Will Clark short. <laughs> And he and I saw I saw to see this short guy at Movement on like Saturday at like 2 p.m. Right, and this was my first year there, so I wanted to get there early. I was so excited. I see this little guy standing there on the main stage. I'm like, oh, that guy's like wearing a Rossum hat. That's cool. Start walking over to him. I see it's him. I'm like, oh shit, it's Greco. And I introduced myself. Ever since then, we stayed connected. And he loves telling that story too. And I just think like that's one of the the few things like that you kind of just don't want to let pass by is. These people are real people too. Like yeah. no matter the level of success you're at. So mm-hmm. it, it's always humbling when somebody like that does give you the time of day, does make eye contact, does respond to your questions, does give you advice, does give you feedback. Right. When you connect, why would he? Exactly. What does he have to gain? Exactly. Yeah, of course. But speaking of movement, um, aka Demp, you know, so sad. <laughs> Don't make me cry. I'm, I'm sorry. I have to bring it up because it's so it's so incredibly sad, but also badass. I can't tell you, like, you know, this is probably the first time we've really connected. But when I saw you post that you were playing at Movement on the MK Area 10 stage, I literally got up out of my seat and I was like, whoa, I know her. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine what you did when you got word. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, I I had some heart palpitations and then there was a lot of jumping and a lot of crying. I mean, Sonia, to me, like, that is, uh, you know, that's the Lollapalooza of Detroit. That's yeah, yeah. a worldwide festival, right? That's, like, I mean, there are lots of places in Europe and all over the world, but, like, in the United States, like, Detroit movement is, is the mecca of house and techno. And for you to be on that stage on Monday, no less, which is always the best day, like, you deserve that spot, and I want to acknowledge you for that, but I just want to know, like, wh- what did it feel like getting that announcement? Obviously, it's canceled, and we'll see you next year, and I'll be front row, but let's pretend it was going to happen. You know, what, what did that feel like for you? I mean, yeah, it was pretty amazing. I mean, honestly, um, <clears throat> I felt like kind of like the wild card for this year as, you know, I, I don't really have those TV lounge connections. Um, I have a lot of acquaintances, but... I mean, I don't really play at TV Lounge that much, so I'm not, like, one of their residents. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know what exactly possessed them to pull the trigger and choose I mean, that's me. A stamp of approval, man. It like, is. It yeah. is. It's pretty amazing. Um, I will say, though, that literally since forever now, for the past however long I've been DJing, every set that I was going to, I would pretend that I was on movement stage oh. and just like kind of manifest like big 
festival vibes and just like manifest movement vibes every every time I DJed. Like I would always have in the back of my head, like someone could be in this room that could be, you know, yeah, could be watching and could be wanting to see what you know what you would do at movement or whatever. So oh. I kind of I just meditated on it a lot and. I don't know. That's I really don't know. Just kept pushing. I feel like there's either you can either try to like get in somehow with like people or just like push so hard and do your own thing that like the crowd is chanting your name and they can't they can't deny booking you because they know the crowd wants to see you. It's not like a doing you a favor. I mean, they are doing you a favor, but it's not like a yeah, it's like a mutual. It works out for both parties like they you know what I mean? So I don't know. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, you weren't like in the green room late night at Magic Stick and were like, hey, I'm Sonia. You know, like they recognized you and they said, this girl's put in work. Like, Which is crazy, too, because with the lack of original music that I have for them to still have faith in me as a musical artist, I'm like, wow, that says a lot about them and just how they they're, they view the full picture and not just like one thing like, oh, what's your social following or what's your whatever. Well, Every year is like someone who like considers himself like I always think I, I'm pretty well versed in the house and techno scene. Probably half the lineup I don't recognize, and it's right. all just like so worldwide talents and local talents. And I mean, like you deserve it. So whether you think that or not, I think it's awesome. So I, I want to ask you though, like besides that, like movement as a festival, I've been twice. First time I went, honestly, God changed my life. Yeah, and I had loved house music live, but. Just, like, the city of Detroit itself, how, like, you know, like, growing up and, and never really being to Detroit before that, there's the connotations, of course, about it, right? But I have yeah. never felt such a connection to the people around me at a festival or a show ever in my life like I did in Detroit. And it's because I think everybody is there for the right reason. Mm -hmm. It's for pictures. It's not, like, you know, to, to have a weekend off, it's because, like, I'm here for techno, 40 hours of it at least. Give it to me, right? Like, yeah. it's not being at heart. And I just felt so connected. And it was incredible. It was like the DJ was almost like part of the crowd. And it just was so special. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? It is very so, so special. So, yes, I've been going to movement for as long as I've been DJing. I wish I could have been going to movement longer than that. I knew about it, but honestly, I was either out of town or just not in the scene to not even be downtown. Um, so that when I got into DJing the first year I went, obviously so life changing. Um, you know, it was just so crazy, <laughs> obviously. And then, and then from there I was just like, okay, I need VIP cause I need to sit in the shade. Cause it gets really, it gets, it gets thick. It gets heavy, you know, just the movement moving all around and everything. Um, but the past few years, I take my son with me one day, Dominic. <laughs> he's watching. He's watching TV now, so we're fine. I think he was just intrigued by the interview. But um, so yeah, I take Dominic with me, and it's nice to just show him, you know, the live music and the crowds, and let him dance and show him off. Obviously, he's such right. a cutie. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, movement. I think one of the reasons why it's so magical for everyone that's involved, including like all the people even setting up, all the people even at like checking your bag or like jolly about things you know what I mean it's because so yeah it, it's it's because there's I, I mean I feel at least the energy the vibration like the hive mind like everyone you just got to think about it like everyone everyone there has like such pure intentions like you said um that literally on an alchemy level 
the vibration of the bodies is going to be, it's just, you're going to feel good yes. because of the energy of the people around you. So Everybody, I think that's why movement is so powerful. Everybody's dancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're not dancing, then they're just like living their best life in other ways. Like the food that they have at movement is so good. All every uh, the way that people take like their the fashion movement fashion is so crazy. Yeah, good. You know, um, well, you feel it's, so, yeah. it's a very European vibe for such like a raw American city, and it's just like yeah. this, this great combination. It is. It is. And then. And then you take into consideration everything that basically how movement got to where it was. You know, it's basically from these illegal parties. Yeah. You know, and then so then the after hours vibe of movement is like, you know, there's a lot of well, when we can have when whatever, you know, what I'm trying to say yeah, yeah. there's there's you know, it's really grungy. Like uh, most of our clubs in Detroit are they're just grungy i mean like the leland like the leland yeah there you go or like the the works but the works is no longer it's no longer the works closed down about a year and a half ago did it Mm -hmm. oh no yeah it was a year and a half ago it was beginning of 2019 it was done oh man i didn't know that actually Mm -hmm. yeah we had a golden moment for for a year in 2016 20, 2016 ape spring to 2017 spring we had a underground not underground we had a well it was two floors but it was a very sketch club called grenadier i don't know if you've ever heard of grenadier yeah yeah, yeah. you have i have i have a friend in detroit who was actually talking about that like sometime recently oh yeah <clears throat> actually he's probably talking about grenadier recently because we have one of the main one of the resident DJs put together this entire it's called sepia memory bank.com mm-hmm. like s-e-p-i-a sepia memory bank.com he uh put together a, a whole website of pictures and stories uh about specifically about this one party that was hosted routinely at grenadiers called backdoor mm-hmm. um i played their one year anniversary i never played any of their other parties but basically we would have after hours parties at this club from midnight to six every Friday and Saturday, midnight to 6 a.m. And it was two stories and like just kind of crazy. Like there was kind of no rules. Um, and so then we had some people that, you know, we would be throwing parties routinely yeah. you know, and whatever. Um, but it became very popular to where like, I don't know, sometimes like. And any given party, it didn't even, it almost didn't even matter who was playing. Yeah. It'd be like three, four, five, six hundred people. <laughs> like amazing. at an after hours. So obviously, five or six hundred is on like a crazy, crazy night. But it got there to where we're just like, oh, it's a lot of people, a lot of, lot of attention, y'all. This is supposed to be secret. <clears throat> and the cops obviously caught wind of what was going on. And so it didn't really last that long, but it did last about a year, almost a year and a year and a half about a year ish but the last party that i well one of the last parties that that i was there that i guess got shut down was the one year anniversary and i was going to play back to back with one of my buddies and we brought along brian from golf clap and then we had green velvet who was on his way like downstairs meeting us there to play with us you're like what's happening right now and of course the cops show up right as green velvet's about to come downstairs and play with you you're like 
<clears throat> but it is what it is. So, yeah, Detroit, long story short, you know, has a lot of soul, obviously. Yeah. They, uh, there's a lot of grit. There's a lot of just, you know, give it your all. Even now I am, I see, <laughs> I was laughing. I don't know if you saw there was a record label group of dudes who took their speakers and a picnic table with their decks down to the Hart Plaza this weekend. Yeah, they did. Even though there was a stay-at-home order, and they didn't even have a permit to be playing amps in public. Did anybody stop them? Yeah, the police. (laughs) I would expect the police to be like, okay, just like one one hour set, it's fine. They were there for four hours. Oh, shit. Okay. So they they got to have their fun before the police shut them down. But it's just like you kind of – you see that um, the – just the defiant – attitude it just you just see it come through i mean it almost would have been weird if nobody tried that so yeah kudos to you whoever you are dude yeah absolutely those guys rock i mean i want to i want to go off that too a little bit i mean you got that movement spot sonia because you truly are an incredible dj and you've been coined as the people's dj and a dj's dj now i think i know what that means but for the people who don't what exactly does that statement mean to you so i would say that that statement probably means that I like to play things um, that are that feel somewhat familiar to the crowd um, so they'll have something to connect with but also I like to play some really random songs that might be like kind of a monkey wrench that might be for the other DJs in the room yeah Um, so kind of just keeping that balance of playing things for me playing things for other people but then also I like to pay attention to which of my peers are in the room, um, you know, playing songs that they may like, or maybe I know that I know they like, or maybe that are theirs, play songs that are theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so just being very cognizant of who's in the room while you're DJing um, is very important. That one, that tip uh, was given to me by uh, Brian from Golf Clap. He was yeah. uh, a great mentor of mine. So he taught me a lot about reading the room, um, and just deciding what kind of music to play at any given time, you know. Uh, I also like to keep the ADHD level high in my DJ sets, Um, (laughs) and I like to keep people guessing as far as, like, what I might play next, so, you know, you'll hear a deep house song next to a bass house song, next to a techno track, next to a tech house track, next to a break beats, next to a deep house song again, and I do that just because um, <laughs> there's, there's some, there's some times where, you know, criticism, constructive criticism can be really helpful. Yeah. And then there are some times where you'll get it, you'll appreciate it, but you'll like almost ignore it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In a way. Everything with a grain but, of salt. Exactly. But kind of let it drive you. Um, now I remember when I first started one of the biggest criticisms to me from other DJs, like other like older men that maybe had been doing it a really long time. They're like, you know, you just switch around too many different genres. I just I just don't know. And I'm just like, either. Uh, I just don't know. I don't know. What do you want me to do? <laughs> so yeah, pretty much I just kinda use that as like, okay, well if that's what you don't like about me, I guess I'll use it as my signature for sure. Call it a day. <laughs> well said. I like that actually. Yeah. So I mean it works. You're genre bending to a certain extent, right? Like, 
What is it that you love DJing? What is it about DJing that you love most? I mean, you seem like you challenge yourself. I mean, for those that don't DJ, like, it's not easy to blend all those sort of genres together. That's probably why those DJs said that, because it's hard. Yeah, you know, it's not easy to blend all those together, and that's why I don't blend them together a lot sometimes. A lot of times I'll DJ like a, more like a hip-hop DJ and just kind of cut things off and yeah. and play around creatively with, like, I'll play the build-up slash breakdown to, like, one song, but then play a drop to a different song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen you do that. Awesome. Yeah, so just kind of keeping things creative, keeping people on their toes, uh, keep them guessing, um, Try not to be too predictable. Try to always keep the energy level high. I know that my favorite thing about uh, being a DJ is performing, hands down, performing. I like to dance. I like to make up dance moves as I I go along. Um, And, yeah, I just like to – I like to basically – I like to channel my inner, like, 10-year-old self. Like, (laughs) when I I first got um, Jenny from the Block – is that yeah. what it was called? Is that was that the album? Lopez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it, yeah. Was it Jenny from the Block? Was yeah. that her album or is that just the name of a song? Either way. Uh, it was definitely a name of J-Lo. a song. J Lo. J Lo was the name of the album. Oh yeah. J Lo. Yeah. All right, got this album. Literally, I'm in my room, spinning circles, like just dancing to every single song. And so I kind of like to just channel like how that made me feel. You know, <laughs> you're obviously 10, 11 years old. You're just in your room by yourself. But I like to do that as an almost 30-year-old woman on stage. Sure. I, I, that is such an influential time in your life, like, musically. It almost shapes, like, your future. I totally agree. I, I was yeah. talking to a, a rapper and, and a singer-songwriter in Chicago, and we were talking about making mixed CDs, right, the CD days. Mm-hmm. We would put all these different types of music on, and we were driving our car, and we were 16, 17 years old. Like, those songs that you put on, that you're J-Lo, right, like, that feeling is what I try and channel as a DJ, too. Yeah. And so when people like when, okay, so when I'm DJing and I'm performing, other women see me giving my all and totally not caring what anybody thinks about me. And I feel like it really inspires them to also give it their all, have fun with me, dance with me, enjoy themselves, be in the moment and not care what anyone else is thinking. And really, that's like that's like the point we want to get them to in the crowd. We want them to just totally be enjoying themselves. And then also, obviously, I'm dancing, so obviously all the men are enjoying themselves <laughs> when I'm dancing, and all the other females are dancing, so it's like instant party. That's why they got you. That's awesome. I, I honestly think you might be the most dangerous woman in the world. If you got your hair in a bun, your nails are done, and you are flipping the volume knobs, I mean, the full... <laughs> Literally on fire. I guarantee you that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can recall. I mean, one time I was in the front room of the works closing down the front room and golf clap was playing back to back Pete Tong in the back room of the works. <laughs> and I had the front room like everybody was in the front room <laughs> just like harassing me. <laughs> you know, like they're having fun with me. And Brian from Golf Clap, he comes to the front room and he's like I need you to come up here and see what the fuck you were doing. I thought you might have been stripping or something, the way everybody just left our room. (laughs) I was like, uh, sorry, I'm just DJing. (laughs) He's like, you know you're out DJing the world's top radio DJ right now. I was like, thanks. (laughs) No biggie. I'm just yelling. No biggie. Oh, yeah. Also, I closed the patio for Walker and Royce one time, and I remember that patio, it, it was like an, we were like, 
it's like a at magic stick? race at magic stick. Yeah. It's yeah. the whole thing. It felt like there were so many people with me on the patio. It felt like the whole floor was going to drop out. We're like, ah, maybe we should stop dancing so hard guys. That patio is so awesome. I, the first time I went there, I went there for the repopulate Mars after party uh, that Lee always does. And Will Clark was actually playing out there. Mm. What the hell is going on? Like, this is such a sick setup. It's just like mm-hmm. so, so intimate. Yeah. Yeah. So intimate. I love that though. Um, I want to ask you about Corner Combo Records. You, first off, you, you just released it, your first track, Make Me Laugh. Which came first? I mean, how long have you been working on both these ideas? Oh, okay. So good question. So Make Me Laugh, I put out as a free download on SoundCloud and I partnered. I mean, seriously. You like it. Thank you. I really do. It's unique. It's cool. Thank you. Um, So, I mean, I've been working on producing music for like two and a half, almost three years ish. um, But it's just been kind of a rough learning curve for me as like I've always had to like work another day job and I have my kid and there's just a lot going on. Yeah, it's not. And then just add DJing onto it. And then just there's a lot. So um, basically, also, I'm not really great with computers. These all sound like excuses. I hate this. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) I keep trying as long as you don't give up. That's what I say. You're not. You got the song out. Yeah. (laughs) You got the song out. You got the song out. Uh, So basically, yeah, make me laugh. Um, I don't I don't exactly remember. I know I made that song this year. I don't I don't remember exactly when exactly I made that song. It's like in a daze. Uh, <laughs> but, but I remember listening to it. I'm like, mm, this, I don't hate it. Um, all right, this one, we're going with it. So yeah, basically, well, actually, I'll tell you what sparked all this is March, April, May this year, coronavirus, I couldn't open my laptop. I couldn't work on any music. I couldn't do anything. I was just so depressed. I hear you. So depressed. I didn't even know what was up from down. It was so bad. But then, right. Right. June came around and I was finally able to focus on something other than coronavirus. And so, uh, yeah, like with all the protests and everything. And that honestly, it was like, oh, my God, it was it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And I finally just said, damn, life is short. I need to put out this fucking song. I don't care if I don't don't know how to do it. I'm just going to figure it out somehow. If they don't like it, there's a million other songs you can listen to. So just (laughs) go away. So I put it out and honestly, the response was a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, I mean, I've had like almost 700 plays on the song right now, which it's not like a crazy amount, but it's more than I anticipated. I would have been fine with like 30 people listening to it. I mean, it's it's fine. So, so that's really good. I was talking about you're doing it like you don't care how many plays you get it would be nice to get as many as possible but I mean I, I, like I said I'm that's that to me is like your first song you get almost 700 likes cool or listens cool like it's good a long time to get 700 plays on my first track so I'm, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you're doing right. way better than my first track Um, wow. so yeah, and then honestly, Corner Combo Records, that, that, this is a very brand new brain baby right here. This is like, you're seeing it unfold in real time. Like, is, honestly. Is it all female? No, it's not. Um, that, that you might think that, but so <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, but Corner Combo Records, obviously we don't have any music out just yet. I have some songs that I'm working on that I'm getting finished, finalized, um, and then that'll be an EP out for me on the label. I just wanted to have a platform for me to put myself, my stuff out on, not have to 
third party it through other people because I'm already overwhelmed with the lengthy process of things. I, I can't, I can't, and this very moment, I'm not saying I won't, I can't send all these demos out right now because I'm a person who gets like discouraged if I don't see some sort of progress. Mm-hmm. So I need to, I need to build my confidence as a producer and then we'll go from there. So yeah. however my journey goes, that's where I'll go. But Corner Combo Records uh, is going to be the record label. Uh, Corner Combo being a term used in fighting games. Sonia Alvarez, the the name Sonia is not my birth name. Sonia comes from the character Sonia Blade in Mortal Kombat. And Sonia was the first female fighting character in that game. So to me, she represents a dominant female in a primarily male-dominated field. So, and the name's Hispanic, so I used the name and it, it goes good. Um, and then, so I wanted to kind of take the theme into other things. Um, so, corner combo is not an official Mortal Kombat term. It's just a term that you use in fighting games. Making yeah. making the K, having it be with Ks, references Mortal Kombat a little bit more. Um, but I feel like it was still kind of far enough away to where there's no copyright infringement, which is good. Yeah, um, you're, you're clear. <laughs> yeah, we're clear on that. Talk to my talk to my lawyer. But yeah, yeah basically, uh, Corner Combo Records. Um, we're gonna get merch made. We have a mix series out. The mix series is bi-weekly, and there are two featured artists each week. Uh, we got the website up, and yeah, it's going to be mostly female, but not all female because I feel like in this day and age, things are either mostly male or all female. True. And I feel like I don't really ever see anything that's mostly female. Some yeah. male. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah. A, yeah, seriously, that's so spot on. I didn't even think yeah. about it. You think it's like, oh, it's like, I, I'm sure you've heard Danny Deal before, right? The Chicago influencer, DJ. She's always talking about things like that. It's like, it's always oh, mostly male, but then people force only female or minority. Mm-hmm. It's not actually like this cross collaboration when like exactly. there are talented female DJs out there. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, so I just wanted to use my platform to highlight other females, but also not make it female exclusive because I feel like that kind of defeats the purpose of being all inclusive. Yeah, for sure. Like, oh, let me just shut out all my male friends. Like, no, not going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Very so, cool. It's all a work in progress. You're you're definitely a boss lady. Like, I would I would I would be on your label. I would I would do your stuff. You know what you're doing. Send me a demo. <laughs> shit okay i got i got some music on my own some guys i manage i'll shoot it over to you see what you think please do absolutely bring a little chicago flavor to detroit is that okay it's okay we're here for it you probably know but techno was actually derived from influences of chicago house music i mean kevin saunderson is where it all came from so people always think chicago and detroit we don't get along we get along really well we sure do yes we do sure do so you man, you uh, you mentioned, of course, golf clap a few times. You've opened for Chris Lake, like you mentioned, Shiva San twice, MK, AC Slater, Anna Luno. Again, this isn't by chance. Like, you've really earned your stripes. And when I've seen you play, it's obvious that you're an expert when it comes to building the energy. For people that are experienced and non-experienced, what's your process like in preparing for those sets, whether it be, like, in finding new music or actually reading the crowd? You know, if you have any secrets that you can share with us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my my biggest thing when I'm going to play a set is um, I don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. 
ever. Um, I prepare, but I don't over prepare. Okay. I don't overthink it. I, I genuinely like to prepare my music day of. Yeah. So I can get any of like the last latest tidbits that release that might be like, I like to, I like to kind of push it to the limit and wait till the end. Said, yeah. Um, there will be times where I'm being real responsible and I'll catch a Beatport sale on like a Tuesday or something. So that's good. <laughs> but <laughs> other than that, I generally will wait typically till the day of to event to, to track shop um, because I want it to be more off, off the cuff. I want it to be more, I want to almost be a little bit surprised by the songs that I'm playing Yeah. while I'm playing them. Yeah. Some of them, obviously, not all of them. You want to know your tracks, what you're playing, but right, right, right. you know, you just have got to have confidence in what you buy, and then you know, like, I'm not gonna buy a shitty song, so yeah. there's that. I'm sure it'll be fine. But yeah, so um, basically, I just <clears throat> track shop, and then I just be making shit up as I go along. Yeah. From <laughs> students, right? Like you've just you've just played gigs. You've had good gigs. You've had bad gigs. And you've yeah, played- yeah. Yeah. There's been good gigs and bad gigs. Um. In between gigs, you know, for me, it's been a learning process. You know, you realize that not all promoters are built the same. You got to explain what type of gear you need to people, even though it's industry standard. You got to, you know, you got to make sure that people don't try to undercut you and like give you some weird price or not pay you or like not honor your guest list or just like, I don't know, there's a bunch of weird things that happen that can make like your experience in a gig less than ideal. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there really is the, the, the booth speakers could be on the ground, you know, I mean, like there's a million things that I feel like I'm being so tedious with, but it's like, do all of these things for me and you'll get an amazing set, you know? So it's just like, if you don't take yourself seriously, then nobody else will. That's true. Right. It seems like you've learned a lot about the business side of the music industry though. Obviously someone who's like, starting a record label, like understanding the social media aspects, what things have you learned, like even in the long term or recently about the music industry that you think are important? Well, um, one of the things that I learned a long time ago, which I thought was super important, was to basically uh, keep your opinions to yourself and (laughs) stay out of drama because you're always going to be on someone's shitty side of the fence. Yeah. And it's like, I wanted, my goal was always to as to offend as least people as possible with whatever I was doing. It's like, you know, hands up, don't fucking shoot at me. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously we're all learning that you can't keep your opinions to yourself. You have to, you have to say what you believe. True. I know. So, um, yeah, I've just been finding that, you know, you gotta, with social media, you gotta really find a good balance and a line between giving like a true representation of yourself, but not oversharing and keeping it about the music, but also showing people that you're a real person. Yeah. Sharing things that you care about and things that are, you're passionate about, but being sensitive to the fact that you might offend someone when you have to take that chance nowadays because everything's so polarized you know, so it's like, yeah, there's a lot to learn, but really just kind of like staying active, engaging on other other people's accounts and um, not being like one of those people who just like is like a dry Jan and just doesn't, you know, I mean, you got to show gratitude when people interact with your page. That's what, that's what we need. We need interaction. So it's like, yeah, you know, doing yeah. that. 
Completely agree. And and sometimes things that you learn about the music industry and the business side only come through experience, good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. True facts. True facts. I love that. Now, something I love uh, asking people, especially someone like yourself, I mean, you've had quite the uphill climb. I mean, really earning your stripes, getting started a little bit later than people. Have there been any obstacles you've overcome, you know, even before you got into DJing or maybe even now and, and how are you getting over them? Poverty has been one for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, possible. <laughs> it is, you know, I mean, I was making all right money as like a store manager before I started music, a store manager in the mall, like fast fashion retail. Mm-hmm. But you find working in the corporate world that it's like you have a new dad that tells you when you can take vacation, when you have to work, when you have to be there. And for someone who's trying to be a DJ, you know, when they say, oh, can you DJ this day, this day? You got to say yes. Yeah. So there's no, oh, well, my job, this, that. No, your job is DJing. So it's okay. like making the transition for me from working my, my job at these brick and mortar stores um, to doing DJing full time, which I I still was working at some stores. But I basically, I took like a like a like a lesser paying job. And coupled that with a roommate to compensate for a lack of funds. You're a um, I gotta tell you. Yeah, but it's just like getting out of poverty is so stressful because, you know, everything in this industry you gotta you gotta spend money to make money. Yeah. Um, you gotta make it look good. And honestly, I mean, I'm okay. Like, I'm fed. My kids fed. We're clothed. Like everything's good. Yeah. Um, but the goal is to like buy a house and like be able to like you know just not have to hustle so hard. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. basically, yeah, I don't know. I guess all this stuff keeps me pretty humble. But this year I've, uh, well, I practice intermittent fasting. I've been practicing food-wise, intermittent fasting for about a year and a half now. But this year I've been doing uh, a material fast. I haven't bought any items for myself this year since Christmas. And like like any clothes, shoes, toys, makeup, just like anything. I haven't like, if I didn't need it, I didn't buy it. That's awesome. Yeah. That been? Has that been it's been great. It's been, yeah. No, it's been, it's been super easy. Honestly, you just convinced yourself. You're like, it's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. None of this stuff is real. Hmm. Damn, Sonia. That was <laughs> <laughs> none of it's real. It's all an illusion. So you just got to be grateful with what you have. Maybe all I need is this Detroit 313 shirt and a pair of CDJs, and that's it. I'm good. You're good. You're good for life. I'm I, 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 I've been following you obviously on Instagram, and you do this intermittent fasting. You're big into CBD. You obviously, like, take really good care of yourself, too, obviously. Does that help a lot with, like, your mental aptitude, all that sort of stuff, just, like, staying positive, especially through this tough time? Yeah. I mean, fasting has been literally the only thing I've been able to hold on to during during this uh, whole year, I guess you could say, sure. because we 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 can control what goes in our mouth and what comes out. Yeah. You know, and but I feel like a lot of people forget that. Um, also, just like realizing the difference between your body and you, which a lot of people are just so, so enveloped in this reality and so engulfed in the experience that they're living that they forget to remember that their body is their own that they own but it's not them yeah your body can change your thoughts can change your mind can change Mm -hmm. therefore they're all yours 
but none of them define you. Yeah. And it's like so many people, like they really like, they'll be down on themselves because they're like, oh, I have these, I have these thoughts, these disturbing thoughts or like, I have this body, this disturbing body or just like whatever. I have this, my mind, my mind is against me right now. And it's like, we just have to take a step back and realize like all of these things are kind of like, they're items that you own on a table, a flower pot, a remote, a leather jacket. They're all things you own and you can look at them objectively, but not have to really ruminate in them so much. You don't have to, you don't have to carry them around all the time. If you don't, obviously your body, you do, (laughs) but it's like, that can be, that can be changed. Your body can be changed and you can change that on an, like an alchemy level, you know what I mean? You can change that by how, how and why you intake your food, just doing the research, being, being, um, specific, being intentional about how you consume. I wish I could be more intentional about how I consume my news feed. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. And, and I was going to touch on that. Like it's the digital age, the double edged sort of the world we live in. Right. Mm-hmm. Talking about how important it is to be on social media, engage with your followers and like, I love that. That's my favorite part of social media. And and I understand how important it is to have a social media presence. But there are definitely days where I'm just like, oh, my God, can I just stop with this stuff? Like, yeah, it's it's very toxic. I'll say that's probably the most toxic part of my life is just having to as much as like you said, as much as you love it, because it does help you in your career. It's 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 draining um just the fact that the screen in and of itself is so addicting we look at it all the time and we're constantly refreshing we're constantly engaging and it can be overwhelming like I envy my boyfriend he's not on social media period he has nothing nothing like never has either either Facebook Instagram nothing and so he's just on his phone looking at last dude yeah he's great so he's just looking at the stock market and shit on his phone um (laughs) He opens his phone, you're like, what are you even looking at? Right. So, I mean, yeah, like, I I think that we could all probably benefit from taking a slight step sideways on, on that and just maybe putting an hour in the beginning of the day, an hour at the end of the day, no phone zone. I'm going to take my own advice on this starting now. Tanya, <laughs> I'm right there but with yeah. you. Let's hold each other accountable on that because I'm trying to use my social medias as a tool and not as a sole source of information because, oh my God, social media these days is like a minefield. It is. It is. You say something to defend someone, take a step back, step on another mine, and you're like, why'd you take a step back? Should I kept going? I'm like, I'm so in my own head right now. Yeah. It's it's just like, it's a lot. It is a lot. Everything I put out, I'm like, disclaimer, don't want to offend anyone. (laughs) Yeah. Disclaimer. Say, yeah. New mix Monday. Dot dot dot. Disclaimer. This mix isn't meant to offend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. Pretty much. Oh my. Twenty thirty. But yeah. I know. Social media. Well, you know, the future right now, of course, is uncertain for so many people in the music industry. But um, I gotta tell you, it's inspiring. Like talking to somebody like you, who really is just continuing to push forward. Do you have big plans for the rest of this year? You're mentioning, of course, your record label, some new music. What can we expect from you? Well, I'm working on this EP right now that's got a few songs on it that I'm pretty excited about. We were actually just working on one of them here. Oh, yeah? So Yeah, so there's one song that I can mention that I'm pretty excited about um, that I got coming out. It's called CPWB. What's that stand for? It stands for Cool Piece of Work, Bro. 
That's fucking awesome. <laughs> so cool piece of work, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, uh, I'll give you the backstory on this song so you can be on the look for it when look out for it when it comes out. Yeah. There's a YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly. Okay, soft soft yeah. white underbelly. Yeah. And this guy, he's a photographer. He interviewed well, his thing was he was interviewing people on Skid Row. Mm-hmm. So they were really down on their luck, really crazy stories. And you're watching it, you're like, holy shit, I'm really glad this is not me. Yeah. But this one woman I watched her interview and she totally had me cracking up so hard. Her story, I can't say it resonated with me because she was just so, this woman was messed up. She had like on five different levels, right? Um, But she, she was just going. She was telling her story and she just like wasn't stopping. And it was like, she was talking in like eight, eight bar verses too. (laughs) I was like, yeah, she would like say something and it'd be like a certain amount of like syllables and then she'd stop. And then, like, throughout, like, 35 minutes. And everything she said was so remarkable. And, like, one-liner. I, we finished it. It took me and my boyfriend about an hour and a half to watch it because it was so entertaining. And so we finished it. And I looked at him and I was like, I need to make a song about this woman. That's and awesome. I did. And, um, yeah, basically the song is called Cool Piece of Work, Bro. Because in the song, or in the interview, she says that, like, four different times in, like, three different ways. She's like, oh, that was a cool piece of work. And she's like, cool piece of work, bro. And it sounds like I have it is repeated in the song. And then the song is around six minutes long. And the the four minutes that you hear her talking, it's like I chopped up her her interview, but I left it all in order. So it's like her story Mm -hmm. just with like the minutia cut out. And so you hear and it's like it's like weirdly sounds like she's rapping on. (laughs) That's sick, though. It's pretty sick. I like it. So cool piece of work, bro. Hopefully that'll be like some sort of fall anthem. I don't. I don't really know, but it's yeah. It's it's not kid friendly. That one's mature audiences. So it's that's good. That one's going to offend a lot of people. That song. There's a lot of crazy stuff in there. <laughs> Sonia, at the same time, you got to push the buttons, right? If you're not yep. if you're not stepping on toes, you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, she's that. she's gonna tell her story. Her name's Ariana from Skid Row. I, I'm literally gonna go watch it right away. Right after. Hey, I'll send you the link. Yeah, seriously. Crazy white underbelly. Soft. Soft white underbelly. Think of Italy. The vulnerable part. Soft white underbelly. Because he interviews vulnerable people. So that's a Gotcha. Wow. Damn. Meta. Meta? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You never heard that before. You know what you're talking about. You're so into this. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh well Sonia I gotta tell you it's been so much fun talking to you and hearing your story uh, I can't wait to see what the future holds for you and I promise you I will be front row at Detroit next year at Movement but I will see you before then and it has been such a pleasure talking to an up and comer a Detroit legend in my eyes so thank oh, you I'm so much you. Time. I really do appreciate it I appreciate you yeah no problem we'll have this out uh, next week and uh, we'll tell the people all about your music sounds good Oh, yeah, Sonia, thank you so much for taking this time. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Sherm. Bye. All right, bye now.